Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Weekly Economic and Market Commentary, a podcast about markets, investing, politics, and profit. Each Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills all the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb. Good morning, everyone. It's Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is my weekly economic and market commentary for the week beginning today, November 7th, 2022. Uh, as a reminder, you can follow me intro week on both Twitter and LinkedIn. If you are not receiving this via email with the slides and graphs and charts, you might wish to be, just send us an email at info at efficient-portfolios.com. Otherwise, you can tell any smart device to just play Slaying Bulls and Bears or play Herb Morgan's podcast. With that, let's get into disclosures. The presentation you're seeing and are hearing is produced by, by me for use by you. It doesn't matter if you are an investor or a financial advisor. Either way, you are expected to make your own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation is investment advice. No recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. This is purely for informational purposes only. There's no tax advice. The accuracy, adequacy, and completeness of the information cannot be guaranteed. Okay, let's get into it. Last week, equity markets largely down, the exception being international markets, kind of bucked the trend a little bit. Emerging markets led big time, 4.7%. Why the, why the difference? Well, China. China, which has been largely in the dumper all year, uh, there was some unsubstantiated rumors on social media in China that the government was planning for more reopening, despite just two weeks earlier at the Communist Party conference talking about the continuation of the zero COVID policy. Uh, so there's uncertainty around this, but the market seems to believe it's true. And that is continuing here this morning with China up uh, again here today, at least by the U.S. trading of China ETFs and funds. Fixed income markets largely down last week as interest rates eat higher. Ten-year Treasury uh, touched 4.2% for a little while last week. The data, the economic data wasn't horrible last week, but the, the, we're going to get to why the market sold off here in just a minute. Let's just start with some of the data. Some of it was soft. Let's start with manufacturing. The Chicago um, PMI uh, fell from 45.7 to 45.2. You can see two poor numbers. Those are both contraction. Uh, anything below 50 is contraction. New orders, fifth straight monthly decline at 39.2 means they've slowed considerably. Um, inventories, however, rose as we continue to work through and ease the supply chain issues and, of course, demand moderating significantly due to um, uh, the weaning off of the economy from both monetary and fiscal stimulus. Uh, S&P Global's estimate of U.S. manufacturing is that it fell but remained in expansion, 50.4%. 50.4, and this is national versus the prior slide, which was just the Chicago region. And it was ahead of estimates of just a modest contraction. ISM's report on manufacturing also just barely stayed in contraction, 
fell though from 50.9 to 50.2, a little bit ahead of expectations. But here again, new orders were in, were in contraction. Employment though, finally rose to expansion, but just barely on the line. Um, so interesting to see. Then we move into services. Remember manufacturing is about 15% of the economy. Services are about 85%. Services are still in boomtown phase. Uh, October ISM services came in at 54.4. It was a bit ahead of expectations. Not crazy like in the initial reopening after COVID, uh, but still up there uh, pretty significantly. New orders uh, in expansion, 56.5, not as much as the prior month. Uh, business activity, same thing. Expanded, not as much as the prior month, but employment went into contraction. And that's kind of one of the issues here is we still have far more job openings than unemployed people. It's one of the things driving uh, inflationary pressure. S&P Global's estimate of U.S. services sector, however, was different. It fell to 47.8. That is now one, two, three, four months of contraction, four months of contraction here, according to uh, S&P Global. Different statistical methodology and measurement, obviously, than uh, the Institute for Supply Management, or ISM. We got a report that uh, job openings actually rose. We have been in kind of, a, you can see a little bit of a decline here in job openings, but in September, they shot up uh, by another almost half a million, uh, almost half a million job openings more month over month, while the number of unemployed workers continues to decline. This gap here is quite inflationary, it puts upward pressure on wages, which translates into upward pressure on prices of finished goods and services. And this is one of the things the Fed is trying to combat. They're trying through, you know, their tools available to them, mostly setting of the Fed funds rate and management of their balance sheet uh, to bring in inflationary pressures. So let's see how that goes. Construction spending for September rose two tenths of a percent. So after a big decline, uh, in August. Moving on to auto sales, nice start of an upward trend here and a big spike higher. Rose from a 13 and a half uh, annualized rate in September uh, to almost 15 million in October. Uh, I would say equilibrium kind of generally around closer to 16 million. So we're still below. This is easing of some of the supply chain issues that the automotive industry has had. Now, however, the automotive industry is facing significantly higher interest rates on car loans. And a significant number of new car buyers use loans and leases to acquire those vehicles. And with those higher rates, it's going to make that more of a challenge. We got word on the trade deficit for the month of September. It rose, unfortunately, from about $66 billion to $73 billion, a little bit worse than expected. Uh, imports are up 1.5%, exports down one1 Kind of makes sense, right? If your dollar is rising and the dollar has been very strong, imports become cheaper to us, so we're going to take more of them, and exports uh, become more expensive to our customers, so they're going to take less of them. So this is largely a, just a reflection of the rising dollar. Why is the dollar rising? Well, when the dollar rises, that's the same as disinflation. The dollar's rising because we've raised interest rates. Rising interest rates attracts capital, which raises the value of your currency and serves to lessen inflationary pressures. Of course, all of that acts with a lag, and we're gonna talk about that when we get to the FOMC meeting here 
in just a couple of slides. Weekly claims for unemployment remain very low, 217,000, right in line with the estimate of 20, and in line with the prior week of 218. Continuing claims at a very modest level as well, 1.485 million. Factory orders rose three-tenths. That's a back-to-back monthly gains. Small, but back-to-back monthly gains still. Big data last week. When I say big data, I mean the big, the real important metrics uh, were, were in the employment, the two employment reports, ADP and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. ADP says that private companies added 239,000, which was more than expected in October. Service was the was by far the leader, 247,000, which just means that you lost a little bit on the other side in manufacturing. Uh, these are big, these are pretty big gains, pretty good numbers. Followed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics report, the official jobs report of the government, they say we added 261,000, well above the 193,000. And September's number was revised even higher. Unemployment rate went from 3.5 to 3.7. All of this is happening while average hourly earnings are rising. That's good. Rising at a lower pace. That's probably good too from an inflationary pressure standpoint. They're up 4.7% on a year-over-year basis. Now, we are just about through third quarter um, earnings season, and we've had about 429 of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 report. Uh, 300 have beaten estimates. Of course, those estimates get revised up and down right up to the day of reporting. Um, And about 100 have uh, missed that target. The average earnings surprise is uh, about 3% above what analysts uh, had expected. Energy, no surprise there, given the price of energy, is the leader of the gains. And when you, if you back out energy, because that's not necessarily healthy for the rest of us that need to consume energy, you can see um, it's tough. Healthcare is doing pretty well. Consumer discretionary is doing pretty well. So looking further into the earnings report, you see sales growth a little over 11.5% year over year. That's pretty solid. Earnings growth, though, only about 3%. Why? Uh, well, those, those cost pressures are really having an impact. Earnings estimates have been getting revised lower. We expect they're going to continue to get revised a little lower in the coming months and then when fourth quarter gets reported starting in uh, January. Now, you remember about three or four weeks ago, we said, hey, we really think from a technical perspective, we're at a bottom. This is a chart of the S&P 500. You can see we got down below 3,600. We said, look, there's all of these technical indicators, whether it's the SKU, whether it's the RSI, the positioning of investors, the the bull bear survey, uh, just the rate of change. Um, The market was just oversold and it was due for a rally. And we got that. It was a great October. It was one of the best Octobers ever. The uh, S&P 500, you can see there from the trough to the peak rallied about 9%. And I've thrown on here, a couple of things I think are interesting. The blue line is the 200-day moving average. And you can see now that the stock market here at 37.77 or 3,800 is well above its 200-day moving average. But to really get bullish, you need to be be above the 50 and the 200, just one of many technical indicators. None of them are guaranteed to be right all the time. Keep that in mind. But that 50-day moving average, if that goes above there today, and then the 50 and the 200 days start to trend higher, then we, we might be able to look back and say, hey, maybe the bottom um, was in. That being said, we st- I still think that you know, earnings are going to be tough. We're starting to see layoffs. We're going to start seeing 
a change in the jobs numbers. We, we just had uh, Facebook or Meta, as it's now called, announced a very significant number of layoffs, um, across the board layoffs um, this morning. And we're going to see, see uh, more of that, in my opinion. Uh, that means the Fed will have accomplished its objective, right? So that means the Fed doesn't need to keep raising interest rates. If, if prices start to come down and jobs start to get lost and the imbalance in the labor market corrects, Fed can really stop. The question is, will they? They've historically made mistakes where they've, they've uh, kept rates too low for too long, which caused inflation. And then on the, on the tightening side, they sometimes fail to give the proper time for their policy decisions to take effect. And they keep raising, waiting for that result. But they have to recognize that it's like opening the oven door when you just put the cookies in, right? You, you need to give it the 25 minutes or whatever it takes to cook cookies before they become cookies. And the Fed needs to be patient and allow its policies to, um, to work. First of all, last week, Fed funds, um, Fed FOMC meeting, FOMC meeting took place. The Reserve Board met and they raised the Fed funds upper target bound from three and a quarter to 4%. That was a 75 basis point increase. I suspect and believe that's not the last hike, but I think it's the last outsized hike, the last 75 basis point hike. Unless something really bizarre happens with the inflationary data, I don't think it can, given all the other data that I see, uh, I think this is the last big one. Um, now, reading through the Fed's statement, they said, they said a couple of things that are worth talking about. Number one, ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2%. So they said we have to continue to raise rates. Question is, they didn't say by how much. Then they go on to say, and this is what I was looking for, you know, you've got different people all looking for different things here. The committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy. In other words, we're saying, hey, we recognize we've already raised rates a bunch and it takes time to impact prices. The lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation and economic and financial developments. So when that statement came out, the market said, okay, they get it. They're, they're probably not going to overshoot, but we recognize there's a few more hikes coming and the stock market started to rally. Then the chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, got on and did the interview, did his statement, did his Q&A, and he got a little flustered, I think, with some of the Q&A. And, and you know how reporters say everything's a trick question, and he wanted to make sure that he, everyone understood that the Fed was firmly committed to fighting inflation, that they would continue to raise interest rates. And then the market turned around and sold off. And so the market became confused. Didn't mean the market felt he had said something different from the statement. It's just that markets don't like uncertainty. The statement itself, I thought, was fine. So based on that, we look at the, uh, the Fed Funds futures look at our Bloomberg terminal this morning, and it appears as of today that on December 14th, that'll be the last Fed meeting of the year, we're going to get another 50, not 75, but 50, that'll get us to four and a half. These are getting to be what we call restricted. The other thing that we talked about was talked about by the chairman and, and the thing is what that terminal rate is. What is that rate, the highest rate they're going to get to? And he sort of implied like, well, we don't want to set an exact number. 
but the futures market is setting one right now. And the futures market believes 50, 50 in February, 25 in March, and we're going to we're going to top out at around five and a quarter. So that is, I think, a sufficiently high rate to bring down inflation. Now there are other forces that are sort of that can impact it, right? Just geopolitical events around energy being uh, the biggest of those. Okay, plenty of uh, economic data, a few earnings. We got like Disney coming later today, but some earnings this week, uh, but uh, consumer credit, small business optimism, wholesale inventories, it's really all gonna be about the CPI on Thursday. And the bottom line with the CPI is that I, it looks like the headline number is going to go up. Uh, it's probably gonna go up to, um, 6.6 from 6.4, that's going to be 100% or nearly 100% driven by energy. But core, which matters the most, is probably going to decline from 6.6 down to 6.4. Uh, and the year over year, it's probably, uh, I'm sorry, that is the year over year. Um, the, the big decline there is a drop in used car prices. We've kind of gotten through some of those issues. Um, obviously, the sticky stuff on the high side is... Uh, is going to be energy. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I'll be back to you again next week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, please visit www.efficient-portfolios.com where you can subscribe to the weekly commentary podcast in all the usual ways. And if you wouldn't mind, please rate us in iTunes and tell a friend.